Fringe Festival Special. So it is the refreshing podcast. It's summer refreshed and it is all about the Fringe Festival for 2023. And I'm very pleased to say that Christine Bovel joins us now. And Christine, you are my first guest of the Fringe 2023. There we go. That's fantastic. I'm so happy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Christine, it's a pleasure to have you on. I should say bonjour. I imagine, to be fair, that's the most French this interview is going to get until I say (laughs) au revoir in 20 minutes or so. To give you a little bit of background, Christine is a fantastic performer with bassists from Edith Piaf from well back in the day. She was kind of famous sort of in the 40s and 50s. So that kind of forms the basis of Christine's fringe shows. Now, you are extremely popular. You sold out the run in 2022. You are back, but only for two shows at the Fringe in 2023. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about you as an artist and the sort of inspiration behind what you do on stage? Well, in fact, there has been a third very last minute. This is interesting because it has another French theme. I used to be a school teacher and who sang, or I was a singer who sometimes showed up at class, and um, I then quit teaching many years ago now. This association with Edith Piaf I've had since almost childhood, since I heard her voice. I wrote this, well, it was a very sort of early musicography of Piaf's, and then the show evolved very much into my life with Piaf. This isn't a tribute or a or a an impersonation. Edinburgh Fringe really put it on the map for me about 13 years ago and we've had a lot. We've sold out the last three years, very fortunately since the pandemic, but before that the famous Spiegel Tent was the home from home. And then I introduced other shows, Paris, Tonight You Belong to Me, which is New York in the 20s, and now Piaf to Pop, which I'm bringing for one night to the Queen's Hall on the 10th of August. Most beautiful room to play. And then the Brunton in Musselburgh. But a wonderful play was written as a vehicle for me last year about Kiki de Montparnasse, this bonne viveuse of the 20s in Paris, <laughs> whose back was famously immortalised in the violon d'Angle. You know that? It's a, a naked woman's back, but it's a violin. Yes, that yeah. That by Man Ray, the most expensive photo ever sold, $14 million. She died penniless. This is a little musical about her life. It's stunning. And we're doing a week at the Gilded Balloon in the last week of the Fringe. Oh, fantastic. I mean, there's so much to digest there, Christine. Just to dive in for the... um, No, it's okay. Absolutely fine. Just to kind of dive in on the romanticised element of what you do. Why do you think it grabs you so much in terms of that era of kind of that sort of 40s, 50s, from that sort of golden age, if you like? What was sort of the thing what attracted you? The golden age element, you know, so many different cultures and countries brought their own magic to that golden age. I mean, the jazz age of the 20s and the big bands of the 30s. Chanson Française from the 20s through the 50s is crystallised a poetic excellence in writing. This is pop songs, but... It's a three-act play in the course of a three-minute song. Anglo-American pop changed everything in France. So that time, I don't think anything else comes close. From the point of view of a singer, this authentic material where you can't really get in the way of the song, you are adopting a character, a persona in this song, no subject off-limits, and the songs are still sung within the rhythms of the French language. Again, rock and roll changed everything in France, particularly that when you listen to French pop, it's Anglo-American pop 
just in French. In chanson, the rhythms are traditionally the French language. Just the quality of the writing, to be honest with the Piafs, the Jacques Brel, the Charles René, Aznavour. You know, there are countless people who just said what it is to be alive in every kind of gamut of the human emotion. You've said, you know, you don't look, uh, in your own words, sound. It isn't about, like you say, telling those kind of stories. It's almost telling your own eventful life alongside songs, which have obviously, I assume, been with you through those turbulent times, the good and the bad, and putting your own spin on it. If you don't mind me sort of being so personal, does that kind of sometimes help in terms of the performance and how you can dive into the back catalogue and kind of make it appropriate to maybe what you've been through? I think unless it comes from the tripe, that's the French word, les tripes, unless... <laughs> I don't know, it's I don't speak it. I thought you were calling my interview technique tripe. <laughs> Your tripe. Oh, God. Don't... <laughs> unless it comes from the guts, don't do it. Just, it's got to be authentic. And yes, I think what you're maybe hinting at is, I used to be an English teacher and I used to say, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. And to that end, of course, you're going to telegraph, not necessarily intentionally, but I think the more powerful the performance is when you have telegraphed things from your own life. And, you know, it's not always the easiest life to have as a performer, as wonderful as it is. Like everyone else, life has its challenges. And you think, what do I do with these feelings? I've got to go on stage and you bring it, you know. I've just lost my dog and I am utterly broken by it. But I had two sold out concerts in Glasgow, just a mixture of chanson. And I had the most beautiful nights, but at one point... Because I wrote the new show on the beach where I live last year, the dog was always with me. And there was one song, If It Takes Forever, I Will Wait For You. And I had to dedicate it to my little poppy on stage. And normally I would never, I'd never talk about personal. I mean, the PF show was absolutely my life with PFs. It's about how I discovered her and how it took me all over the world, hating French at school until I heard this record. Teaching English, not really knowing French, not being able to speak a word during your early childhood days in school. Why France then? Why was this sort of, you know, I know obviously there's that golden era of French song, but just to be able to sing is an amazing thing. To go, do you know what? I'm Glaswegian, but I'll do it fluently, brilliantly in French. Did you think you were slightly crackers when you thought of that? (laughs) Do you know, probably everybody else did, but no. You know the old Hebrew phrase, you want to make God laugh, tell him you've got plans? This was literally... (laughs) decreed that this would happen to me. I was given this record. I said, no thanks, French, are you kidding me? I was 13. And he said, no, Saidi has sung in English. Put the second song on Saidi. It's a song called No Regrets. This was my moment at 13. And I became so obsessed with the voice, the language, and then Paris, France. I did a degree. I taught French and English at school. Yes, and I'm often asked this. I never studied music or singing. I've never had a singing lesson. But... It was the drive to be in this world. It was searching for maybe quite a lonely kid, an identity that French music gave me. And it was just this very happy, lucky accident that I found this because I write my own material and things have gone off in lots of different directions. But at the core, as a troubadour in theatre, it's largely just been chanson. And just touching back on saying writing on the beach and with Poppy, the dog by your side, when you perform that, and you know, in particular, to write to the joy that those years brought you with the dog for the sake of argument, as much as what it has been in the past, is that kind of, you know, that creative brain always working? 
Yeah, it's a good point. I had a moment on stage on Sunday night where something, because it's a, it's a big thing, this show, it was a very warm room, very intense. The audience just absolutely on my side, but got through the Saturday and thinking, gosh, because it sold out, they put another night on. I thought, I'll never be able to get up there and feeling very tired. And it was even more intense. And about two thirds of the way through, I had a little commemoration to my little poppy and my voice just seemed to go, it just it was on a different plane and I really felt, I know this sounds nutty, but a presence of something that she was there because I'm really, I, I just feel I'll never be the same. I'd never had a dog and she was 11, but it was quite sudden, a, a little heart failed and um, she's just been with me for 11 years. I mean, I never sit down and chronicle my life and my writing, but on the other hand, everything's there, isn't it? Maybe if Poppy hasn't quite left my side, she'll be giving. Leonard Cohen said, if I knew where all the good songs were, I'd go there more often. It just teaches how to love without words. It's just that trust, isn't it? It's just unconditional love and I still am looking for it everywhere. It's been about six weeks and I thought, if, if this happens, obviously when the day comes, what if I have to go on stage? I was playing Wales Millennium Centre exactly a week after she died, so I had a week to try and gather myself. Um... But anyway, we're talking more about the dog than Oh, the kind of dog. puts me to the point there in terms of travelling an awful lot. You touched on how long your particular performances are because you kind of think at a fringe and you say, give or take 45, 60 minutes. Yours are, uh, you know, the best part of 90 minutes, give or take on average. Am I right in saying, Christine? The normal shows in theatres two 45 minute sets with an interval the fringe is a straight through it's about an hour and ten queen's hall will have a, the full theater first we open with kiki de montparnasse and it's kiki's deathbed cabaret hillary brooks and clive king wrote this show and it's the greatest honor to live up to the material and andy clark the actor is playing man ray with me on stage so yeah that's the fringe and then onwards to other things if it's travelling to Wales for the sake of argument, you know, all over the place, internationally, sell out artists, which is absolutely fantastic. Lots of five-star reviews from Broadway Baby, The Scotsman, The Times, the name but a few. There's a few sort of celebrity friends, isn't there? Fellow Glaswegian Billy Conley, Alan Cumming, is that right? That's quite a good endorsement, I would imagine, from a fellow Glaswegian and fellow Scotsman. Exactly. Alan Cumming was having a fundraiser for postgraduate students, I think, at the Conservatoire in Glasgow, just before lockdown, actually. And he had a number of Glasgow alumni, Eddie Reader, performed. And I got to sing one of my own songs and a Piaf song. It was the biggest thrill. And, and you know when you meet celebrities, and he was so gifted on stage and he was so brilliant just as a human being, so generous of spirit. Who doesn't love Alan Cumming? He was amazing. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And the Billy Connolly connection, then, if you don't mind me asking, Christine, how no, did that, that come about? That's just a photo that was snapped. It was a charity fundraiser I was doing for a school in Glasgow. Uh, there was a lineup of three different acts and I closed with my PF show and Billy Connolly had been approached to kind of just flag it and in my whole family just lifelong devotees of Billy Connolly that was another thrill of a lifetime Talking about thrills, and I really was keen to do this interview because just shy of a month ago, I visited Paris for the first time in my life. I fell in love with it straight away. I just felt from the people watching for those amazing cafes. There's a whole debate about the service. I think it depends what nationality you are, depending to what service you get. For us, using a little bit of the French language, I got the Mickey taken out of me a little bit, but I think that's quite endearing. Apparently, you might know different, Christine. I've been told on good authority that's quite good. There's just something amazing about it. Just seeing... 
Paris, and we were extremely lucky to stay just off the Champs-Élysées, seeing the Eiffel Tower for the first time. The colour of the Eiffel Tower was something which stood out to me, going, wow, this looks fantastic. And I lived about 45 minutes away from Blackpool Tower, so I was expecting it to look a bit like that, have a little bit of fur ground at the bottom of it, you know. <laughs> it's just a gorgeous place. And I know, am I right in saying, were you playing there in June? No, I wasn't in Paris. I was playing in the Perigord. So down sort of two hours in from Bordeaux near Bergerac, a Jacques Tati festival, the great director and his assistant director and partner of 18 years was there as an octogenarian 20-year-old lady and she heard me and loved my set and invited me to her chateau in June there and I did a concert. I stayed for six days and I just lost Poppy and she's got two dogs and we became like sisters, honestly. She's still directing. It was surreal. The whole chateau and everything, there's a lot of catch. It was her le grand amour. It was the love of her life, Jacques Tati. So she had a cinema room and we watched some of her own films. I can't believe I'm saying this. It was just so magnificent and I'm hoping to write some music for some lyrics she's written. I'm going back in September to the usual place, which isn't far away from there, Castillones, a couple who own the Hotel de Cour de Tomazo National Trust, French National Trust, ancient chateau where I've been performing for the last sort of six years. They're a wonderful couple. It's a part of France that I'm being discovered rather than discovering, you know, because I actually haven't worked very much in France. I had a musical residency in Berlin for years. This is what I was going to say, Christine, because I was kind of thinking... Are a lot of people quite surprised when you get chatting and then people go, uh, what, you're from Glasgow? What the hell? More in England, because I'll go on stage and I'll sing, say nothing, straight to French. And then my usual shtick is I'm from a little town north of France called Glasgow. And it gets... <laughs> of course, when I start speaking, there's always a ripple. She is from Glasgow. So um, I love it. I love all that because, you know, I'm singing hopefully authentically in French, but being my own person. Well, I guess it's the ultimate compliment, really, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. And Glasgow is one of the greatest places on earth. Absolutely. Just just as much as Paris. <laughs> um, being in France, is it easier to kind of write there with breathing in the French air, Christine? Is that easier to, to write when you're actually genuinely in a chateau? No, I don't know. I write best when, when I've got lots going on. See if I've got a notion of time as I did in the pandemic and a blank page. Oh, my God. It's when you're going through airport security or even on stage, sometimes ideas will come to me. I find it very difficult. But you have to do it. This is the thing. If you've got deadlines, if you've got an album to finish, you have to sit down every morning and create. So, And just looking beyond the Fringe, Christine, just saying about the album side of things, is that obviously in the pipeline post sort of Fringe 2023? Or do you not want me to bring this up? <laughs> it's so late. I've had this concept in my head of what the sound I want, a lovely bluesy on the porch, Jack Daniels, Mark Twain by my side, Billy Holiday appears a little bit, Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan are there, the Everly Brothers, and it's a wee bit Cajun sounds. Easy peasy. Nailed it. You don't have to think about anything else. <laughs> it's quite a long title, though. <laughs> it is. It's been an absolute thrill to chat. 10th of August, 19th of August. It's probably easy to go to the Fringe website, probably the easiest place. And the Gilded Balloon, you said, on the last Death, week. Kiki's Deathbed Cabaret opens for a week on the 21st. Kiki is there. You need to relive your recent visit with your wife and you will if you come to this show because this is what happened to Chanson in the 60s but this Serge Gainsbourg and Jane Birkin, whom I mentioned, she's just left us. You'll love the show if you can get there. 
So Christine Bonville, various different forms of French theatre and singing and performances, 10th of August, 19th of August, and at the Gilded Balloon in the last week of the Fringe 2023. Christine, it's been a pleasure to chat. I wish you uh, all the best and au revoir. <laughs> this is Summer Refreshed. Hi, I'm Gareth Waugh. And I'm Hannah Fairweather. And together we're in a pub getting paid to talk on a microphone about stuff in general. That sound about right? Yeah. Plus, you can follow at Pod in a Pub on Insta and Twitter for a behind-the-scenes look and for exclusive content. Subscribe now. Pod in a Pub.